Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Valley's new talk show, The John Girardi Show, on Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. Okay. The normal thing to do for a talk show like this would be to drone on and on about impeachment. And frankly, that's what I did a couple of days last week. And I didn't feel great about it. Because frankly, everyone's talking about impeachment. And I don't want this show to be about what everyone else is doing. So today, we're going to talk about a great speech, and we're going to dig into the Constitution. We're going to look into a great speech delivered by the Attorney General, Bill Barr, to the Federalist Society. We're going to learn something about the Constitution together, and I think this is going to be a much more interesting show than, you know, the... 900, the 8,933,000th straight hour of impeachment coverage. Let's talk about the Constitution. You're listening to The John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7 AM 1400, the iHeartRadio app. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Back after a three-day weekend. Had the day off yesterday because the Chargers were playing football. So there we go. Now we're Now we're back. For all you diehard L.A. Chargers fans, uh, glad <laughs> glad you got your radio fix. All right. Uh, so Bill Barr, our attorney general, gave a speech to the Federalist Society. The Federalist Society had its big annual 2019 National Lawyers Convention in Washington over the course of this weekend. It was a huge, big shindig. A bunch of Supreme Court justices were there. Brett Kavanaugh spoke. And Bill Barr gave one of the key, one of the big lectures uh, for the weekend. And just a note about Bill Barr, because I think there are a lot of Republicans who don't know a lot about him. This guy is the real deal. He honestly might be my favorite person in the entire Trump administration including Trump. <laughs> uh, he is, first of all, a brilliant guy. He, This is actually his second time serving as attorney general. He had served as attorney general under George H.W. Bush. And it's clear that after the president got rid of... Uh, after, the, after the president got rid of his first attorney general, uh, Jeff Sessions, there we go... <laughs> Radio is hard, folks. You got to remember things as you're talking. After the president got rid of Jeff Sessions, he was clearly, the, the administration was clearly looking for someone to replace him. And I think there's uh, an idea that among the Trump cabinet that there were a lot of sort of old guard Republicans who didn't want to be a part of it. Some of these old guard Republicans 
whom you normally would have seen in a presidential administration, didn't want to work for Trump, didn't like Trump, thought it wouldn't be a good fit, didn't, you know, uh, many of them were sort of never Trumpy and had actively opposed him throughout, blah, 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 never really liked him. And so there is this notion that a lot of the people in the Trump administration are these sort of grifters who are just desperately trying to get ahead. You cannot say that about Bill Barr. Barr did not need this job and clearly could leave this job anytime he wants and be a perfectly happy man. Okay, He was an incredibly successful attorney, was attorney general of the United States, continued with a very successful law practice after his stint as attorney general, and came on. Clearly, I think, looking at his profile and what he's done as an act of public service and because he believed in the sort of legal priorities that the president's administration wanted to advance. And I think he has done a pretty remarkable job as attorney general. So I want to discuss the this lecture that he gave to the Federalist Society because it's a great overview of the Constitution, how the Constitution structured our federal government, and the ways in which that foundational structure is threatened, ways in which that structure is under attack. And the the way that this speech has been reported sort of shows how, how alive the problems he's describing are. And I'll sort of explain what I mean by that as we go in. So he basically focuses his talk on Article 2 of the Constitution, which establishes the executive branch, the presidency. Now, let's recall, I've talked about this a little bit on our show, but the framers of the Constitution were very well read in classical political theory and you know, reading ancient Greek political authors like Plato and Aristotle and lots of other people, and they had put together a mixed form of government which combines elements of the three key kinds of government that Aristotle talked about in his politics. Aristotle talked about three different kinds of politics. You have monarchical governments ruled by one person, oligarchical governments ruled by a few people, oligoi, usually a few highly specialized, highly educated, selected people, and then democracy, ruled by the demos, the people, ruled by many. And the framers of the Constitution sort of crafted something, basing it off of the English constitutional model, but refining it to make it a more perfect union. That's what they mean by more perfect. They, they saw a lot of the elements of the English Constitution after the Glorious Revolution of 1689, the so-called Glorious Revolution, I'll say. And they wanted to tweak it to make it even better, hence a more perfect union. And within the structures of our government, you can see these various elements of monarchical rule, oligarchic rule, and democratic rule. And each of these three have elements of it that are good and temptations to it that are bad. Okay, monarchical rule gives you rule by one person, gives you a lot of swift, decisive, unified action, a single policy guiding 
the government. It's quick. It's decisive. It's consistent. However, you concentrate that much power in one guy's hands, and if that guy turns out to be crazy, it's not good. Oligarchic rule. Rule by a few people. Usually highly trained, highly specialized. Usually sort of insulated from the people. Um, allows for very reasoned policies to be developed. Allows for you know people to make wise and careful deliberation and think things out and come to a good conclusion. No power is completely centered in the hands of one person. But... It can lead to a sort of upper class insulated and that engages in groupthink and, you know, people being in their ivory towers and disconnected from the people. Pursuing their own selfish interest over that of the people. Democracy. Very responsive to what the people want. If the people want it, the democracy will have it. Majority rule. Problem is sometimes people are stupid. <laughs> sometimes people don't think things out very well. You have people who aren't highly trained, highly educated, and sometimes people's political viewpoints are swept up by emotion or their political viewpoints are in their own selfish self-interest, you know, bread and circuses, that kind of thing. So what the framers of the Constitution did was to have elements of all three of these forms of government to sort of play them off of each other and to highlight the best aspects of all of them and try to safeguard against the worst aspects of all three. That's why you see the presidency is clearly a kind of monarchical function. One person with singular control over certain things. How to conduct a war. How to regulate our relations with foreign countries. How to regulate national security. All of that is entrusted to the executive. The execution of laws. Putting laws into practice... Law enforcement. All of that is centered on the executive. And Attorney General Barr was talking during this lecture, Attorney General Barr was talking about the presidency and the ways in which the presidency, its powers, have been unduly encroached upon by Congress and by the courts. That was the theme of his talk. The executive branch has certain powers, has a certain structure, has a certain authority given to it by the Constitution. And over the course of the last hundred years, that authority has been chipped away by both Congress and the courts. So, in the context of today's show, I am going to talk about those two aspects of what Bill Barr was talking about. Ways in which the presidency has had its authority chipped away by the Congress and had its authority chipped away by the courts. Okay. Now, you can see there is definite value in having a sort of monarchical function overseeing the execution of laws. All right. Now, now what do I mean by that? Monarchy is defined by one single person, one single person setting one single policy, engaging in swift and decisive action. It also involves discretion. Okay, sometimes the executive is not going to... Pro no executive is going to prosecute every single instance of every single crime. 
So you need some single person to set policy. You can't leave every policy up to the decision of a legislative body like the House of Representatives, which gets reelected every two years, which is constantly subject to flux, which can have changes of opinion and negotiating and bartering. No, no, no. The execution of our laws is the realm of one single person setting the policy, the president. But Congress has tried to chip away at that. Congress has tried to chip away at that through various forms. One of the ways in which Congress has tried to chip away at that is through an excessive amount of congressional oversight for executive decision-making. Okay, We've been seeing that play out since the 2018 elections. Okay, ever since the 2018 election, when the Democrats got control of the House of Representatives, the Trump administration, even before the impeachment hearings began, the Trump administration has been hit with tons and tons and tons of undue, quote, oversight requests by Congress. Okay, Congress has inflated its ability to investigate what the executive branch does in a way that Nobody investigates what Congress does. Okay, let's think about that. Basically, in order for the executive branch to function, they need to have the ability to... Officials within the executive branch need to have the ability to talk with each other, deliberate with each other, work with each other, and have these conversations take place in a confidential setting. But what has happened over the course of the last hundred years is all of this stuff in the interests of public transparency is subject to FOIA, Freedom of Information Access, uh, the Freedom of Information Act. All this stuff is subject to FOIA. All of this stuff is subject to congressional oversight requests. And Barr is making the point that this is excessive and has no analog to the judicial or the legislative branches. Legislative deliberations, you can't discover that. You can't ask for a FOIA request about how lawmakers wheel and deal. You can't do that stuff. Congress's internal deliberations are totally immune from being sought out by the courts. Just as well, the courts certainly don't let you investigate how individual judges came to make their decisions. You can't discover that stuff. You can't get a court order, you can't have a FOIA request to figure out how a judge reached his or her deliberation about some aspect of presidential policy. Frankly, I think it would be really interesting to investigate all of these federal, I mean, to look at all these federal judges who have issued these sort of hashtag resistance nationwide injunctions that have blocked a bunch of President Trump's executive actions, I would be really interested to see how many of those judges maybe called up a friend who's with the ACLU. I think it'd be really interesting to see how many of those judges had conversations with, you know, maybe some liberal politicians or something. I don't know. It would be interesting, but the courts would never allow that. And I'm not saying that they should allow that. Frankly, the internal deliberations of the judiciary should be immune from oversight in that way. My question is, why aren't executive actions similarly immune? 
Now, another way is the notion that another theme that you can see employed by Barr, and it it sort of reveals itself in the way that the media talks about it, is this notion that there should be aspects of the executive branch that are independent of the president's authority. Under FDR, there were a number of so-called independent agencies that were established that were nominally under the executive branch, but could make all kinds of regulatory decisions that basically were not consistent with the policy of the president. And the notion was, no, 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 this is an independent executive. This is an independent agency. We want something that is independent of the president. One of the things he talked about was uh, more recently, this is from Barr's speech, more recently the Dodd-Frank Act's creation of the Consumer Financial Protection Branch, a single-headed independent agency that functions like a junior varsity president for economic regulation, is just one of many examples. Basically what Barr is saying is, no, 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 no. If you have something that is engaged in law enforcement, it can't be independent from the president. And this is where the ideas of the swamp really come into play. Okay, This notion that somehow the various executive agencies should be independent of the president, that the various lifetime, not lifetime, but career employees of the various executive branch agencies, people like, frankly, my brother. Okay, my brother is an attorney. He works for the Justice Department. He's a career appointee. He's not a political appointee. Okay, he will, if President Trump loses in 2020, my brother will still have his job in the Justice Department. Okay. Now, my brother is, I'd say, I'm glad that my brother is, <laughs> is working in Washington rather than a lot of other people. My brother's pretty conservative. But, and, and my brother does his job and does his job well. But there are a lot of people who were in positions like my brother's, career appointees to various federal agencies, who are extremely liberal and who have undercut and slowed down what President Trump has tried to do throughout. That's the ridiculous thing we've seen with these officials at the FBI basically actively working during the whole Mueller thing actively working to get dirt on President Trump to bring him down because his viewpoints on foreign policy were different from theirs. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So many of these career officials within the, within the these various federal executive agencies, I mean, this is actually revealing itself in Ukraine. A lot of people basically took this mindset that President Trump's skepticism towards Ukraine uh, regarding its strategic importance was wrong and therefore dangerous and therefore should be actively opposed. And that is partially what motivated this charge 
to bring about his impeachment. It's clearly what partially motivated the whistleblower. This notion that, no, 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 the officials in the executive branch are somehow independent from President Trump. No. If you're in the executive branch, you are charged with assisting the president. This monarchical form of rule that we have, this aspect of monarchy that is incorporated in our Constitution, your job is to advance his agenda. He was the guy who got elected, not you. Okay? He offered you a job, and maybe you don't see 100% eye-to-eye on certain things. If you don't agree with the policies that he wants you to advance, don't take the job. He can find someone else who will. But the way that the media talks about it is so ridiculous. I mean, even reporting on this speech by Bill Barr, the media was saying, oh, this is drawing, Bill Barr's speech is raising eyebrows for its starkly partisan tone. Oh, this is just as if the attorney general isn't a partisan appointee. The attorney general is a partisan. Okay, he is there to advance the president's partisan viewpoints. Like the media has just incorporated this idea that the attorney general is like someone independent to or possibly even hostile to the president, that the attorney general should be a check on the president's power. No, the attorney general is not a check on the president's power. Congress is a check on the president's power. The voters are a check on the president's power. The courts can be a check on the president's power. So it's been, this is such an interesting speech, and there's so much about it to dig into. We're going to, when we come back from the break, we're going to shift to the next part of uh, Attorney General Barr's speech, where he talks about the courts and the ways in which the federal courts have infringed on executive power. We'll get to that right after the break. You're listening to The John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7 AM 1400 and the iHeartRadio app. This is the new John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. All right, we're back on the John Girardi Show. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Okay, we are, because, you know, do you really want, like, another talking head, another show to talk to you about impeachment again? We're digging into this really interesting speech that the Attorney General, Bill Barr, gave to the Federalist Society over the course of the last weekend. I know, I've been antsy. It's been like two whole days without me doing radio, so i got to catch up on stuff on the weekend. I think this speech from Attorney General Barr was really interesting. And he talks about all the ways in which Congress has started to infringe on the power of the president. Basically, he's talking about the presidency, not the president the presidency, and the ways in which presidential authority has been basically encroached upon by Congress and by the courts. So we talked about Congress in the last segment, and if you want to hear that last segment, download the podcast. Just download the iHeart app on your phone and go to podcasts and just search for The John Girardi Show, G-E-R-A-R-D-I. So now we're going to talk about ways in which the courts have infringed on presidential authority. And this is the biggie. This is the prime source, as Bill Barr sort of frames it, of the erosion of separation of power principles generally and the executive branch authority specifically. He's talking about the judicial branch. Now, he he focuses on two ways in which the judiciary 
has encroached upon the presidency. First, by being the arbiter of a separation of powers disputes between Congress and the executive, but then under but then there are two the two big ways that I want to dig into are by reviewing the prudential decisions that the executive branch makes and by ex- basically assuming direct control over decision making that used to be thought of at the core of presidential concerns. So again, let me, sorry, I was getting a little confused reading that. So the two ways, the two things they're going to investigate are one, the kinds of decision they're make that the judiciary is making and the broad swath of those decisions. Basically, individual federal judges single-handedly knocking out for the whole country some federal policy. That's number one. And two, intervening into executive decision-making. Okay, so let's start with one. First is this notion of individual executive individual federal judges making decisions to overturn entire trump policies for the whole country okay um nationwide injunctions all right let's, let's get into that okay so to understand this we need to understand the structure of federal courts federal courts have the federal district courts which are the trial courts in individual places, okay? We in Fresno are in the Eastern District of California. All right, all of our federal cases are heard at federal courthouses in the Eastern District of California, okay? And there are all kinds of districts like that throughout the country. There's, uh, you know, the Northern District of California, Western District of California, Southern District of California, uh, probably Nevada has one or two districts, et cetera. All federal court cases heard at the trial level in the Eastern District of California, they all get appealed to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Okay. And there are these circuit courts of appeal throughout the whole country. The First Circuit hears all the appeals from the various states of New England. The Second Circuit hears appeals from New York, Connecticut, and and also Vermont. Uh, The Third Circuit hears appeals from this group of states. Fourth Circuit, Fifth Circuit, etc. We are in the Ninth Circuit, which hears appeals from a whole bunch of states in the Western United States: Washington, Oregon, California, Alaska, Arizona, Alaska, Hawaii, Arizona, Nevada, Montana. Um, I, I think Idaho. All of those states, their appeals are heard in the Ninth Circuit. So, and then after the various numbered circuit courts are the U.S. Supreme Court. You can appeal a Ninth Circuit decision up to the Supreme Court. I'm talking about the district court judges, those little individual lowest court guys and gals who are hearing trial court cases locally, not appeals. Bill Barr talks about nationwide injunctions. Okay, so this is where a single one of those individual judges, okay, a judge based in the District of Hawaii or in the Eastern District of California will look at a nationwide Trump administration policy and say that it violates the Constitution or is in some other way illegal or unlawful and strikes it down for the whole rest of the country, not just for the litigants in his case, not just in his district, but throughout the entire 
country. Now, this has happened a gazillion times in the Trump administration. Since President Trump took office, Barr says, district courts have issued over 40 nationwide injunctions against the government. By comparison, during President Obama's first two years, district courts issued a total of two nationwide injunctions against the government. Both were vacated by the Ninth Circuit. So this is a huge overstepping of the traditional norms of what the judiciary is allowed to do. This is beyond the power of any individual justice on the Supreme Court to just totally shut down a whole Trump administration policy. And it has really big political impacts, too. President Trump was well on his way to negotiating some kind of resolution to the DACA issue. Okay, he was negotiating with leaders in Congress that basically he was saying, okay, I'm getting rid of the DACA program because I think it was an unlawful use of executive power to create it. I think President Obama just created it, circumvented Congress, and I don't think it was within his executive authority to do it. So let's come up with a legislative solution. Congress, you have to give a bit. You have to provide more border security. I, uh, you know, I'll agree to a DACA program, but you got to do more border security. Well, guess what? Those negotiations collapsed when a single federal judge wiped out President Trump's elimination of the DACA program. A single federal judge eliminated President Trump's decision to get rid of the DACA program, and that ruined the negotiations. The Democrats didn't want to play ball. Basically, the Democrats were like, okay, well, we've gotten what we want because the courts have intervened, so we're not going to go to the negotiation table, and we're not going to create some legislative, you know, we're not going to make a legislative solution to the DACA program. So that really harms our our normal system of doing things when a single federal judge decides he's going to wreck an entire nationwide policy. Now, the next point that Barr makes about how the judiciary has encroached on the executive is by questioning the motivations that the executive branch has for imposing its policies. And one of the key things he highlights in this is the travel bans, the various travel bans that the Trump administration put in place against uh, entry into the country from certain countries that are hotbeds for terrorism. Now, personally, I'm not going to talk about the prudential reasons about you know favoring or disfavoring the travel ban because I think there are certain ways in which they were not particularly helpful particularly as it involves certain groups of particularly Christian refugees from areas like Syria and other hotbeds of the Middle East who, because of the travel ban, are sort of cut out from coming to the United States uh, in refugee status. Which, so I, I'm not like an unabashed supporter of the travel ban necessarily, but the legal principles behind it, I completely agree with Bill Barr that... So basically what happened was Trump instituted a travel ban and various courts would rule that, no, President Trump didn't have the authority to do that because he was motivated by anti-Muslim bias. That's inappropriate. Boom, we strike it down. That is an inappropriate imposition by the courts, basically trying to look at executive motive rather than executive action. And that is inappropriate. It's not up to the courts to discern, to go into President Trump's mind and discern intent in that way. That goes way beyond their, you know, 
it goes way beyond their mandate. And this is what Barr says. The travel ban case highlights an especially troubling aspect of the recent tendency to expand judicial review. The Supreme Court has traditionally refused across a wide variety of contexts to inquire into the subjective motivation behind governmental action. To take the classic example, if a police officer has probable cause to initiate a traffic stop, his subjective motivations are irrelevant. And just last term, the Supreme Court appropriately shut the door to claims that otherwise lawful redistricting can violate the Constitution if the legislators who drew the lines were actually motivated by political partisanship. What is true of police officers and gerrymanders is equally true of the president and senior executive officials. With very few exceptions, neither the Constitution nor the Administrative Procedures Act or any relevant statute calls for judicial review of executive motive. And this is what courts have done throughout, even with things like President Trump trying to reverse the HHS mandate. Basically, the courts are saying, well, no, your reasons weren't good enough. Your, 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 your motivations were bad. Like, no, that is an inappropriate imposition by the courts of their authority. They're second guessing of the president and his reasons for doing things. So anyway, I thought Bill Barr's speech was great, phenomenal, really interesting. Uh, it's on the Justice Department website. You got to have to dig to find it rather than a bunch of harebrained liberal commentary on it. We'll be back with more on The John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7 AM 1400 and the iHeartRadio app. The new John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. All right. Digging in a little more into Bill Barr's speech that he gave to the Federalist Society over the past weekend. You know, studiously avoiding talking about <laughs> talking about impeachment here on the John Girardi show, uh, just to give you something different to think about. One of the interesting things he points out is the whole notion of hashtag resistance. That basically the left has taken the position that we are going to do everything possibly within our power to restrict President Trump's ability to govern. And that that has been much more, I mean, Every, every time the left talks about President Trump, they talk about him in terms of he's demolishing presidential norms, all these horrible things. They never talk about the ways in which the left is actually attacking various sorts of legal norms. One of the things Barr talks about is how the Senate has had to actually have formal votes on something like 236 Trump nominees for his various executive branch offices. The Senate has this role of advice and consent for the appointment of officials to the executive branch. And the Senate, under Mitch McConnell, had to force a vote 236 times. You know how many times a vote had to get forced rather than the Senate just voluntarily taking it up under President Obama? Only 17 times. So basically what's happening is so much of President Trump's administration has been slow in getting appointed because the Democrats in the Senate basically have slow rolled the whole thing the entire time. They have blocked and obstructed just basic officials from being appointed to the Trump administration such that it's been hard for the Trump administration to actually enact a bunch of its policies. And the thing Barr says is, gosh, I don't know what's going to happen. If this continues, I don't know what's going to happen the next time we have a president whose party in the Senate is not in power. Like, how is a president going to be able to construct his government if the Senate is going to just block every single executive official 
that he wants to nominate? I mean, it's it's a real question. We'll be back with closing thoughts on the John Girardi Show. The Valley's new talk show, The John Girardi Show, on Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. Thank you so much for listening to The John Girardi Show today on Power Talk 96.7 AM 1400, the iHeartRadio app. Just closing things out, we've been talking about this great speech by Bill Barr. Um, I'm, I've got it uh, posted on my Twitter account if you want to go read it. It's at Fresno Johnny. That's at Fresno Johnny, J-O-H-N-N-Y. I'm just reviewing all of the headlines about it when I put it in Google Bill Barr speech and hit the news button. Two loony Bill Barr speeches show it didn't start with Trump. Barr accuses liberal resistance of trying to sabotage Trump. Bill Barr, the man from 1980, the most alarming part of Barr's speech was its angrily partisan tone. Yeah, Barr is a partisan. He's not independent from the president. He's not some independent check on the president's power. He helps the president accomplish his goal. No one cared back when Eric Holder said he was he was President Obama's, quote, wingman. No one cared about that. But when Bill Barr does it, it's, you know, some constitutional crisis that he's acting like the president's personal lawyer. Well, no, he's not acting like the president's personal lawyer, but he is acting as an extension of the president's executive power. That's his job to enforce the law as the president deems fit. That's the role of the attorney general. And frankly, I I continue to think he's my favorite thinker, the smartest guy in the Trump administration. He's my favorite official in the Trump White House. So there you go. That's all there is from me today. We'll see you tomorrow on The John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7 AM 1400 and the iHeartRadio app. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.